Hosting for With the First Link on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network is brought to you by Fansets, creators of cool pins and memorabilia from your favorite franchises. Visit fansets.com and use code TREKGEEKS, all capital letters, for your exclusive 10% discount. Hello and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series, one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through an anti-oppression, pro-diversity, anti-racist lens. I'm Ruthie Cowper-Samoshi. And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about The Royale. This episode was written by Tracy Torme and directed by Cliff Bowl. It first aired on March 25th, 1989. For today's check-in, let's do something a little, a little more fun. Let's talk about which fictional universes we would like to be stuck in and which ones we would not like to be stuck in. Or maybe better, which stories we would like to be stuck in and which ones we would not like to be stuck in. Like, So if I had to make a decision and I had to stay in that universe for forever, which one would it be? Yeah, like this guy, like in, in the Royale. Yeah, because it was terrible for this person, wasn't it? <laughs> he was stuck in like a bad book. Yeah, it's like the, the moral of the story is take better books with you to space. Yeah, take good books. Although I was thinking like most of the books that I like have like a lot of really sad things happen in them. So I don't know that I would want to be part of that story. Yeah. <laughs> so if you had one that you wanted to be stuck in or not stuck in, then what would, what would it be? Okay, well, I feel like the obvious one is Star Trek. Of course. The Star Trek universe. But then I was like, that's too obvious. Let's narrow it down. Which Star Trek? Okay, Which fair franchise, which story would you want to be a part of? And right. you know what I think I would want to be part of is Lower Decks. Yeah. I think that would be fun to be in the Lower Decks series. I mean, things being a cartoon, nothing ever feels quite as scary or as dangerous as, as some of the stuff on the live action. Uh, but also just, I don't know, those characters seem like a lot of fun. And they seem like they're having a lot of fun. So... I kind of want to join them. Uh, that's fair, actually, because I th if I think about Lower Decks and where they are as crew members relative to the rest of, like, the strata of the crew, that's probably where I would end up myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd be in command or anyone would want me that with that much responsibility on a starship. As much as I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'd be the captain, I'd probably be some, like, misfit lieutenant somewhere on the lower decks of the ship so that makes sense but like don't knock it because they really look like they're having fun <laughs> they look like they're having a lot of fun yeah and maybe they're more successful or apt than they think that they are yeah yeah that's fair i think if there were a universe that i could be stuck in that was inside of a fictional science fiction setting it would be the stargate universe okay because like it's our universe our time like right now on earth present day earth but it's the whole idea is like, what if present day Earth found an ancient gate that opens up the rest of the galaxy? And then you come across this other galactic community and go on these adventures. So it's like the realistic, like I could be who I am now, oh. but maybe I could join a team that adventures through one of these gates. I don't know what expertise I would actually lend to something like that, but it's possible then that it could be present time. I could be me myself with my interests and skills. And that maybe I would get to take an adventure through one of these gates and discover some other distant part of the galaxy. Okay. 
Cool. I love Stargate. Stargate's pretty cool. Yeah, you talked about it last in the last episode too. Yeah, they, one of these other franchises that's I don't think it has the same following that say Star Trek or Star Wars does, but it's it's been another very influential franchise in in my interest of space, especially because it also falls into the we talked about last episode on space archaeology. Yeah, because that's kind of what it's all about. Like I think in that story, basically humans have a genetic ancestor that is now known as the Ancients, and they're the ones who built the Stargates that can travel instantaneously between two gates somewhere else in in the galaxy. And then by the last franchise installment, it's also like throughout the whole universe. They can travel to different, like between different galaxies. Wow. It's pretty amazing. It's a neat show and it's got some neat ideas. I think there's a lot of focus on exploration, which I really appreciated. That's cool. I never watched the show, but I think I saw like the movie, which I believe came Mm -hmm. first. Yes. That was a very long time ago. But yeah, I, I thought it was cool. Yeah, the most recent installment was Stargate Universe. It only lasted two seasons. And I think it was the one that was the most controversial between all the fans, but it's the one I actually liked the most. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, so I go back and I'll rewatch it every once in a while. Okay, where would you not want to be stuck? Well, right now, this is an easy question for me to answer because I just a little while ago finished watching the latest season of Stranger Things. And (laughs) just everyone in that story is dealing with so much trauma that, you know, it's great to watch from this side of the screen. It's I would not want to be, you know, dealing with that. No, that's fair. I'd say probably one I've only I've only dabbled in this uh, as no. So not nearly as much as everyone else has definitely watched it. But I was thinking probably a fiction that is too close to home and scary in terms of its identification of how our own world operates in terms of power dynamics and capitalism would be The Boys. Oh, I don't know that. Okay, so The Boys is basically like, what happens if superheroes were real and they were owned by private companies? Oh, no. Yeah, there's some pretty dark stuff that goes down in Boys. So um, I was thinking, I haven't finished it yet. I think the season, last season is wrapped now. Um, and I'm sort of I'm behind in a lot of the episodes. But I, I watched a handful of them and I was like, wow, this is, it's pretty dark because it shows like how awful, like some of the most toxic elements of humanity like these heroes have powers but they're like many of them are by no means heroic at all so it's like what they basically in this case i think represent a lot of the powerful elements in our own society and how we often feel like we have no control over them because they're just so much more powerful than we are and we want to like weirdly worship that power like i think about the people that weirdly worship you know, billionaires as an example, you know, and how much power they have and like they want to be like them or like they think that we should be like them and they're sort of held up in these pedestals. So it's like, it's that kind of idea. These sort of parallels are made in the story and and I find that that is like, I don't want to be stuck in that world because I am stuck in that world. (laughs) Yeah. That's the the scary thing about it. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good point. Like most of the stories that I feel like I would want to be stuck with are like, maybe not necessarily realistic, which is kind of funny because one of the reasons that this character we meet, well, we don't really meet him, but this character who is stuck in a fictional universe or a fictional story in this episode, one of the reasons he's so miserable is that it's such a poorly written novel. But it seems a lot nicer to be there than to deal with some of the problems. But then I guess, you know, the problems are what make the good times better, so... Yeah, probably the repetition that he's stuck in, because I'm guessing that the story just repeats over and over and over again. Yeah, it seems like and it. And that would be, it would be miserable. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yes. So the, <laughs> the, the premise is interesting. I like the notion that like there's these aliens that think like they're proceeding by guilt. They're trying to help out this poor astronaut whose crew they may have unintentionally killed. Yeah. And I don't know if we see that very often. We don't often see guilt expressed by other alien creatures oh, in yeah. the Star Trek universe. Yeah. We often like we'll see the, like us feel guilty for something that we broke as the Federation <laughs> yes. and Starfleet traveling through space. But it's like what happens when if if we proceed by guilt in terms of like our diplomacy with other creatures and maybe don't ask them what they really want. Right. And that conversation obviously didn't happen with this astronaut. It yeah. just kind of left him there on this planet. Yeah. Anyways. Should we get into it? Let's do it. So in this episode, Worf, Data, and Riker find themselves trapped in a recreation of a poorly written novel called The Royale. The Royale. They are orbiting a planet, Theta... They're missing an eye. Yes. Yeah, in our Roman numerals. Yeah. <laughs> it's a whole other planet. This is how Khan got found back, Ruthie. <laughs> Get the, your planet numbers right. Should I retake that or should we leave all this in? Let's leave it Let's in. Leave it in. <laughs> Sorry, there was, a, there was a mistake on the notes, listeners, and I, I miswrote. We're the wrong planet. I miswrote. This is Theta 8. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, this ship is orbiting around Theta 8 which is in a previously unmapped system, the Theta system. And they're there because a Klingon cruiser reported that they found pieces of a strange vessel near this planet. It was nice of the Klingons to tell us that, you know, be like, hey. Yeah. Just so you know, Federation, we found some junk in orbit around this planet. Maybe you want to check it out. That's very kind of the Klingons. Thank yeah, you, Klingons. Yeah, it's a little weird, actually, now that you mentioned that. like, what? Yeah, I don't expect the Klingons to be doing like salvage reports for the Federation, but yeah, okay, that's just, cool. We don't need anything. We're, we don't want this planet for anything, but just thought you might yeah. want to know. I got the sense from that is that this is like, we know we're outside of normal Federation territory. Like even the Klingons are here. Everyone's kind of floating around in space at this point. Wild, the wild west of space, ah, checking out random yes. junk around planets. Yeah. LaForge refers to this planet as nasty. He says it's made out of nitrogen, methane, and liquid neon. And then he says it has a surface temperature of minus 290 degrees Celsius, which is yes. less than absolute zero. So I don't think that's possible. No, it's not physically possible, <laughs> but that's okay. We just, we know it's very cold. So I'm going to chalk it up to writers normally, since they're in the United States, they're probably normally dealing with Fahrenheit. <laughs> they're like, yeah, it's in the 200 and somethings in Celsius. It's cold. 290 sounds big. Let's make it there. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it also has winds up to 312 meters per second and ammonia tornadoes. So basically just ammonia a miserable tornadoes. place. How fast is that? 312 meters per second. Uh, well, kilometers an hour. That's 11, 11, 1,123 kilometers an hour. That is possible. Actually, there are gas giant wind speeds, even in our own solar system that are that high. So that part is accurate. Yeah. Because I think I think Neptune has wind speeds up to 2,000 kilometers an hour. But anyways. But yeah, we don't generally want to go visit Neptune. No, it sounds like a nasty planet. Yeah. Just like this one. <laughs> Riker enters the ready room where Picard is reading about Fermat's last theorem. This is something that Riker just has to deal with sometimes. He has to go into the ready room and he's going to say like, we've arrived or we found the thing we're looking for. But first he has to just listen to whatever it is that Picard is thinking about right then. Nerding out about, yeah. That's, it's happened multiple times that he's he goes in specifically to say like, we've arrived at our destination or the whatever is waiting for us. And he goes in and Picard's just like musing 
about something that has nothing to do with the actual storyline. Yeah, just like at one time where they had where he walked in and he's like, "Yeah, I'm looking at this planet and it's strange orbit." Yeah, like that. Yeah. He's like, "Oh, cool." Um. Anyway, the like, mission. Do you even do any work in here <laughs> in your ready room, Picard? <laughs> anyway, so he's looking at this thing called Fermat's Last Theorem, and it's about when Pierre de Fermat, I guess, is some ancient mathematician, yes. that he died, and they found in the margin of his notes this equation. Was it x to the n plus y to the n equals z to the n? And then it has no solution at whole numbers if n is greater than 2. Yes. Does, does that make any sense to you yeah, as yeah. a mathematician? Yeah, Ruthie? I okay. can tell you a little bit about it. I don't know Please a whole do, lot. yes. So you may be familiar with the right triangle theorem or perhaps better known as the Pythagorean theorem because it's credited to Pythagoras, although it was discovered by mathematicians all over the world, not just in ancient Greece. Is that rat? Right angle triangle theorem with rat with two T's. And then there was like a band in the 80s that was named after it. That I don't know. But I know. But yeah, I, <laughs> okay. I, it sounds like that. So basically in a right angle triangle, you have the two legs, which are the two sides on either side of the right angle. They're, the square of their lengths is always equal to the square of the hypotenuse, which is the third side that's opposite the right angle. So you'd have like A squared plus B squared equals C squared. And there are some triangles that have a whole number on all three sides. So for example, if you have uh, the two legs, say, are um, three centimeters long and four centimeters long, then if you square that, you get nine and 16. Add that together, you get 25. The square root of 25 is five. So the length of the hypotenuse is five. So the three, four, and five are three whole numbers that fit that equation. And then you can, there are other ones. So for example, if you have 12 squared plus 5 squared. So then you have 144 plus 25. That gives you 169, which is the square of 13. So 5, 12, and 13 also fit when when n is 2. But when n is greater than 2, the theorem that Firma had, or some people called it a conjecture, is that there you can't have any whole numbers in those x, y, and z places. Oh, so this is a real person. This is a real thing? Yeah, this is real. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought Fermat was just some dude that was made up for this episode. No, this no, is a no. Real Fermat's guy. last theorem is is real. Oh, and some okay. people thought of it as uh, Fermat's conjecture because he didn't have a proof for it. That He just wrote that there was a remarkable proof, but he didn't actually write the proof. And then so people studied it for, for ages. But then <laughs> Picard says that people have been trying to solve this, but they haven't been able to for 800 years. But that's not actually true. Fermat's last theorem was proved by someone named Andrew Wiles. It was released in 1994 and then published in 1995. So it, it actually was was proved after this episode aired. Oh, okay. That's cool. So someone did figure it out. Yes. Yes. Amazing. Thank you for, for all of this because I had no idea that any of this was even real or based on anything. The whole like the remarkable proof thing must have been like trolling people. Like that's what you see splashed across like YouTube thumbnail images. Like remarkable proof. <laughs> and then it's like whatever. Isn't actually anything. There's nothing. There's nothing there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is that is kind of how mathematicians sometimes are. They they can sometimes like figure things out quickly and they don't necessarily explain their thought. Like there are stories of like math professors. My, I think my grandfather or maybe my dad had a story about like this math professor who was like well it's obvious that this is equal to that and then like left the room for a bit and then came back and was like yes it's obvious so basically he just like left the room proved it to himself and then was like yeah I don't, I, it's obvious you can just trust me on that 
<laughs> so from us like, no, trust me, there is a really cool proof. But I don't feel like there isn't room for me to write it out here. So yeah, and it, and then in the Star Trek universe, it took like almost a millennia of work to get it sorted out. Thanks, Fermat. I mean, it did take like a couple, a few hundred years, but not eight hundred years. Not eight hundred. Yeah. So like the episode, this has nothing to do with anything. No, nothing <laughs> at all. Except that they have to figure something out in the episode. Cool. And someone had to figure out Fermat's theorem. It's a really like. Nothing. At it's all. a puzzle. So they're trying to they're trying to introduce the theme of a puzzle, I suppose. I guess. What trying to do. Yeah. So Picard finds it stimulating and and thinks about how it puts things in perspective because with with all the technology the Federation has, they still can't figure it out. But we did. We did figure it, it out. Figured as out. You yeah. Said. yeah. Yeah. So Riker tells Picard that they found debris around the planet and that they will beam some of it on board the study. And in the transporter room, Riker says that they've locked onto something with markings, and O'Brien beams it on board. And there's like a reveal because at first you just see this kind of curved sheet of metal and it's not facing the camera. So we can't really see what the markings are. And when Riker goes and grabs it, he turns it around and there's a U.S. flag on a piece of broken metal with the NASA logo on it. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. And Picard says, we've got ourselves a little puzzle, number one. And then we go to the intro. We actually have like a real introduction to the episode, so that's cool. <laughs> yeah. We have the observation lounge and data says that the object is definitely terrestrial from the mid-21st century, even though it's not possible that any vessel from Earth could have gotten out this far. So we don't even have warp drive yet. That hasn't even happened yeah. now. So it's, it, it, so there's it's no not way possible. We get out and, but then there's a, a kind of funny thing that data says that some of the molecules have disintegrated, which means they seem to have been destroyed by a weapon from the 20, like from now, from the 24th century. And right. they're confused by that. But my feeling on that was if this ship got this far away from our solar system, it's perfectly reasonable that they could have encountered that kind of weapon because there were warp capable species out in the galaxy. Just, yes. just we hadn't, we, we don't have it. Yeah. So it's not actually that weird that it has been phasered on but it is curious so picard says that it's curiouser and curious yes, he's quoting quoting alice in wonderland there wesley calls in from the bridge and says that they have detected a large structure on the planet so keep in mind that that's also quite curious because this is a gas giant planet yeah so apparently it's on a frozen layer of methane they have found a structure inside and the structure seems to be surrounded by breathable atmosphere yeah just like a pocket around like a pocket of air yeah yeah and so Riker wants to send an away team down to investigate. Yeah. And they figure like, well, the air is breathable and there are, there's no one there to be dangerous. Yeah, sure. Let's send a small away team. So the small away team, of course, is all like the key members of the ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, just the chief of security, chief of science and the first officer. Yep. Really expendable people here. If we're trying to narrow down the amount of risk, it's not like we have, we don't have like Ensign Bob <laughs> and like, you know, whatever. It's like they're actual key members because yeah, no. they have to go on an adventure. Fair enough. Yeah, so yeah. the transporter room, O'Brien tells them that they have an extremely narrow access point. So they're trying to get between all of the other hazards that they have to transport yeah. between to get inside of this planet with all of its wind and ammonia, tornadoes and everything else. And they arrive on the planet. They materialize. It's kind of an intimidating scene because they arrive in this black void but they're less than a kilometer under all these storms and so above them you can see all this whipping ammonia wind that's part of the gas giant and they're kind of standing in a pocket of that yeah it's it's like 
super unpleasant and it's less than a kilometer away. So whatever is creating this like bubble or this pocket of breathable air is like, it's not that big. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that you know that outside is like a whole raging gas giant. Yeah. Yeah, that would be it is a bit that scary. That would be scary. Yeah. So they see a revolving door nearby, but it's not connected that they can see any structure. Like they know there is a structure because they they saw that on their sensors, but they can't really see the structure that it's attached to. It was weird to me that they didn't try walking around the door. Right. Yeah, cuz it almost looks like some kind of dimensional portal like the door that seems to go you can't see the structure that it's connected to but obviously there's one there but they're like they can't resist the door ruthie we're gonna go through the door yeah i mean revolving doors are fun they are fun although it is funny when they tell picard when they're like well there's this antique revolving door and he's like a revolving door be careful it almost sounds like he wants them to be careful because it's a revolving door like he's like i got stuck in one of those as a kid and i just went around yeah they could hit you I know. They are a little bit scary, especially if you're not paying attention to what's going on. You always have to kind of negotiate it. Yeah, exactly. And if you're used to doors that just kind of open and close right when you're walking through them, a revolving door would be a little complicated. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, they probably (laughs) don't have a lot of door experience because they're used to doors just opening for them. This one, they got to You have to time it. Maybe someone else. Actually, you see Data kind of step up to it (laughs) to take a step back when you start to walk through. At one point, I was wondering if they were all going to go through in the same like section. Oh, it's all stuffed together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe that would give the wrong tone to what's happening here. So they go through the door and they enter a large hotel lobby. Yeah. It's so it's totally bizarre because there's a structure nested within a gas giant and then they step inside of it and there's a casino hotel. Yeah. Like right out of like, you know, Vegas era. And I think it's from the 1950s is is what they're inside for. You know, it wasn't clear because it kind of looked like that. In some ways, but then there was at one point I definitely saw a woman walk by wearing an entirely denim outfit, and that looked very 80s to me. There's only so many costume props around, Ruthie. <laughs> We're not in big budget era Star Trek yet. We are definitely not. So they lose communications now when they go through the door, which is also scary. So now they've they stepped inside of this place. It's totally out of place, and they can't get back in contact with the ship. Yeah. And the Enterprise also can't lock onto them and beat them back. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very scary. And Data kind of says to Riker, like, okay, well, we don't have contact. Should we should we go back to the ship? And Riker's like, no, 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 it's okay. Well, we're not in any immediate danger. Let's look around for a while. Which I agree with Picard is not characteristic of him, you know? Yeah, maybe the setting seems not so foreign because they they're like oh okay well we're this is obviously like an earth-based structure yeah and these look like humans here so maybe at first glance it doesn't seem that scary but yeah when you think about like how out of place all of this is you'd think that they'd say okay we should probably step back outside yeah and see what's going on. but anyway a hotel employee tells them to go check in at the front desk so they do that they come across uh at one point i think he's referred to as a desk clerk at another point i think he's the assistant manager I mm-hmm. call him Holland Manners because that's who he played on Angel, the spinoff of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. He played Holland Manners, who worked at uh, Wolfram and Hart. So yeah, so we've got a young Holland Manners who tells them that they have been expecting a trio of foreign gentlemen, and he welcomes them to the Hotel Royale. An employee from earlier shows up behind the desk and asks if Rita called. So we learn that this is like the bellboy. Yeah. And... The clerk tells him that he's like, for your own good, you need to quit talking. You're going to quit thinking about Rita. They have like kind of this side conversation that's sort of awkward in front of the, the three awaiting members. It is, yeah. 
And then the the bellboy says he's not afraid of Mickey D. And the clerk Mickey is like, D. well, anyone with any sense is afraid of Mickey D. And anytime the bellboy and the clerk talk, the music gets like, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's the kind of like mystery music. It's like... Holland Manners tells the away team that Rita is too much for the bellboy to handle and that Mickey D is going to plant his face right into the pavement. And then he gives them their room keys and casino chips as though that's like just a totally normal thing to say. Yeah, and Worf asks what this place is. He's like, where are we? And how a being like the clerk got here. And the clerk is like, well, this is the Royale, of course. Yeah, it's the Royale. And, and don't ask me how I got here. That's none of your business. And Riker's like, what is this planet? What do you call it? <laughs> and the clerk just looks at him like, I, I call it Earth? Like, what do you call it? And Worf is like, well, we call it Theta 8. <laughs> and the clerk is like, okay. Yeah, he's charming and he kind of walks <laughs> away. just walks away. So obviously he thinks that they are odd. Yeah. You know, the, the clerk's odd as well. It was just a very awkward conversation. So. Everyone thinks everyone is weird here. They sure do. So the away team walks around and Data scans with the tricorder and he says that none of the people here are emitting life signs. And where Worf takes that really literally and he's like, are you saying none of them are alive? Yes. <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious because they're not emitting life signs. He's like, are they dead? <laughs> um, but Worf wonders if maybe then they are machines or illusions. And Data says that they are not illusions. They do exist, but they have like no DNA structure or anything. Yeah. And then we meet a character who will feature prominently in this episode, we meet Tex, I believe his name is, and Data's yep. like, look, he doesn't exhibit any DNA structure, and, and Tex is like, oh, look who's talking. You sound just like my ex-wife. I'm going to get down to business, and he's a little obnoxious, this character. Uh, oh, he's totally obnoxious and very creepy. He's very find creepy, out later. yeah. I also, I was like, so your ex-wife often tell, told you that you didn't have any DNA structure? Yeah. That's kind of an odd thing to say. Maybe they're a doctor. Yeah, that's it's a weird, it's a weird, uh, weird insult. Yeah, it's almost like uh, maybe like a poorly designed holodeck in some way. So I yeah. guess the the programs are probably trying to respond to what they are saying. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Back on the bridge, LaForge and Wesley are working on contacting the way team. They can't tell if there is an intelligence responsible for this or not. But Picard tells Troy that it's unlike Riker to not be following procedure and that they should have returned to the beam down coordinates when they lost communications. But Troy says that she doesn't sense that Riker is in danger, that he actually like feels amused. So Troy is able to sense that they are alive. Yeah, so that's good. And it's like if you look at Riker in the early parts of this part of the episode, like he does find this whole thing amusing. Like he's just he's kind of smiling and he's a little baffled, but he's not like, OK, this is a problem. Anyway, back in the hotel lobby, Data approaches a table where this man, Tex, is playing blackjack with a younger woman. Tex, like, puts his, he's got, like, a cowboy hat, and he puts it on Data's head, and then he says they're playing blackjack, and Data kind of, like, goes through the rules. He, like, accesses that in his, like, data banks. And then he cuts the cards in, like, a very impressive way. Yeah, he, like, splits the deck and shuffles it in one hand. Yeah, it's very cool. And Vanessa even, like, lets out this low whistle. She's like, that's smooth. Yeah, it is smooth. And Tex tells Data that Vanessa has to win. So she gets a 15, and Tex tells her to hit, which is not, I don't think, actually the best advice. If you got a 15, it's kind of on the edge, but there are more... Like, you're more likely to go over 21 if you have 15 mm -hmm. than stay under. 
And I kind of wondered through this whether Tex is like intentionally giving her bad advice. Oh, I, I think he definitely right? is. Yeah, because like later on, it seems that, that he's intentionally trying to make her broke so that she becomes like dependent. Yeah, on yeah. Real. Okay, yeah. That's what I thought was going yeah, on because it's totally. It's, oh, it's yeah, for super sure. Super creepy. Like she is clearly in a desperate situation and he. Yep. He seems to like that, which is not. Oh, yeah. Cool. He's taking advantage of her for yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. So Data keeps asking for more cards and Tex is like, the possibility of you hitting 21 at five cards is really low. But he's like, no, no, no. He's like, hit me. And Data even has like all the mannerisms down about how to like ask yeah, cards. Yeah, yeah. And so I guess he has that all in his programming. So he, Data hits 21. And then so Tex asks if he's a card counter. But Data doesn't know what he means by that. But I think Data probably basically is card counting based yeah, on his he, knowledge of the cards. Well, because card counting is just like calculating the probabilities. Like it's not actually cheating. Right. It's just not cool because it means you're more right. likely to win. And so, yeah, he kind of is a card counter. Oh, yeah. So Riker and Worf show up and they're like, okay, it's it's time to go. We're going to leave. Then on the bridge, LaForge and Wesley have discovered that the reason they can't contact or lock on to the away team is that the envelope surrounding this structure has hydrogen carbon helix patterns. And basically that just scatters any transmission. And so LaForge is doing some what Picard calls aggressive computations to determine whether the phasers could maybe penetrate through that that bubble. Yeah, that's what we call just blasting stuff. It's aggressive computations. Aggressive computations, yeah, just blast. Yeah, that's how we call it here in the Federation. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So the away team now tries to get out. Yeah. So they go through the revolving door and they find themselves right back in the lobby. And it's funny the way they shoot it because it's not like they shoot it as if they like walk through and just appear on the other side. Like you can see the actors are just walking <laughs> yeah, around like in they, a circle they, through they, the door. They wait for them to go back. all the way through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. they, didn't, they don't even cut the video to make it just reappear on the other side no, or anything no. like that. They just, they walk around in a circle. I think really what's going on is that they just don't know how to use revolving doors. <laughs> Yeah, maybe that's what it is. They're like, they actually could leave, but they just don't know how to use revolving doors properly. So now they're getting anxious because they're like, okay, we're we're stuck here. We might actually not be able to get out. Yeah. So Riker says that they need to find a new way out. So Data walks over to an old woman at the slot machines yeah. and asks if there's like, hey, they're like, are you another exit? And she just completely ignores them and is pulling the lever on the machine over and it's over and kinda over. It's kind of cool. Like, I feel like these are like, what do you call it? Like non-playing characters or like characters that you don't interact with in like a video yeah. game. So like, because then there are Rikers tries to talk to people and they just ignore him. And it's like, well, these, these characters are like part of the scenery from we later find out is the novel. Like they, they didn't have any dialogue. So... The yeah, aliens didn't write to any. Respond yeah, yeah. So they just ignore. <laughs> it got me thinking as well about gambling addiction. Yes. And how, from what I understand, the actual design and layout of casinos is that they are intentionally designed to be labyrinthine. Yeah. To make you walk through as much of the casino as possible before finding an exit. And that even like the patterns on carpeting are designed to be confusing to lead you in different directions. And the noise and sound is designed to be like hypnotic so that you can't escape. So in a way, I was thinking about how casinos are made to be inescapable in a way on purpose. Yeah, I was thinking about the exact same thing. I was like, I, I, I don't go to casinos, so I don't know this from experience. But I was thinking like this is from what I understand, like that this is kind of true to life. This is kind of what it's like. Mm -hmm. And also like the way it's um, that, you you know, you don't have like windows to the outside a lot. So you don't know what time of day it is. Like your kind of internal right, clock yeah. gets kind of disoriented. And I feel like that likely is what's happening. Like this whole casino is in like a void. 
So they're trying to they use more aggressive calculations down here as well because Worf is like, well, I'm gonna move. Up. <laughs> I mean, the wall is all over the place, but he decides to move these two casino machines away yeah, from the wall. Yeah, who knows? And there's like, he pushes at the wooden paneling and he can't move it. And Riker says that like the integrity of the wall seems really high, and so Worf fires a phaser at it. And there's not even like a scorch mark or a burn. Yeah. He even ups the phaser power and fires again, and like nothing happens. They can't even blast the wall. Yeah. It was kind of funny at first when he moved the machines and then he took a step back and I originally thought he was going to like take a run at it. Like yeah. just run and try to like knock it down <laughs> with his shoulder. And then I was like, oh no, he's using his phasers. Okay, that makes more sense. It makes more sense, yeah. <laughs> Data also can't find any other exits, so he thinks that they are trapped. Yeah. So back on the bridge, LaForge says that they're almost there. They can try to contact within a few minutes. And Troy tells Picard that now she senses Riker is feeling trapped and agitated. Yeah, so something's changed on the surface. So we go back down to the surface and Worf has tried his phasers. This I wish we had seen this because it sounds like he was just firing on all kinds of things. And he's like, basically, the phasers don't work on any of the surfaces. Anything. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if they tried shooting any of the NPCs. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. They just. That's what you do in video games after a while. You're like, oh, I'm just going to shoot an NPC. <laughs> so Riker's like, OK, I'm going to try to get some answers out of this desk clerk. But before he does that, he has to wait because... The, the clerk, or Holland Manners, is talking to the bellboy who has just taken a gun out of a drawer and the plot music picks up again. And it is, you can tell, like there is some of this cliche dialogue already that the guy's like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm finally getting some smarts. I'm going to make Mickey D leave Rita alone. This also I felt was a little, this was pretty disturbing. The way he's talking about Rita, because the clerk says she's a big girl, but then he also says she's Mickey D's girl. And the bellboy's like, well, I'm going to change that. And it made me feel like she was, you know, not consensually Mickey D's girl. Like, Oh, yeah, probably not. We also, we never hear from Rita. I no, know. at the end of this, we we never do. No. Luckily, she's a fictional character. So yeah. hopefully she doesn't exist outside of this bubble. Of this environment. Yeah. yeah just floating in the gas giant yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Riker tells the clerk that he's like, we want to get out. And the clerk's like, well, the Royale's exits are clearly marked. And Riker's like, well, that's not good enough. Which is a weird thing to say, he doesn't say, yeah, but we can't get out. He just says that's not good enough. That's not good enough. Yeah, he's not like, hey, when I walk through the door, I literally just appear back in the hotel he again. He could actually like say what the problem is, but instead he's like, well, it's not good enough. I need you to hold my hand while I walk out. Like, I don't understand revolving doors. <laughs> and then the clerk is like, well, if you have a complaint, you can take it up with the manager. And Riker's like, okay, yeah, cool. I want to see the manager. And Riker's like, nope, sorry. Or and the, the clerk is like, nope, sorry, he's busy. Yeah, and you know what? I laughed because I had legit this exact situation happen to me in a hotel. <laughs> it was a hotel in Seattle. It was a horrible hotel. And the bathtub drain was clogged when I moved into the room. So it wouldn't drain. I couldn't like use the bathtub oh, or no. like shower properly. And I complained downstairs. And I remember there was a clerk that had pretty much about the same attitude. And was like, well, you could talk to the manager. And I was like, well, then can I talk to the manager about maybe getting a refund on the room? And he literally just folded his arms in front of me and was like, the manager's busy. And I laughed so hard when I saw this moment. I was like, this legit happened to me in a real hotel. I had this real situation. I should have been like, well, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. Like, don't tell me I can talk to the manager if I can't actually talk to the manager. Not that I want to, like, encourage people to always talk to the manager, but... If you're going to say, well, if, listen, if you want something, this is how you get it. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to do that thing. And you're like, no, actually, you can't. Like, you can't. <laughs> it's not cool. Yep. Is the manager the aliens? Well, I think 
My guess is that the manager isn't actually a character in the story. Like right. the, the manager is probably only ever referenced. So you can't you can't interact with them. Yeah. 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 Anyway, Picard finally gets through with a lot of static and he says to Riker, "Why haven't you left the building?" Like, why haven't you gone back to the beam down coordinates? And Riker explains that they are trapped, that they can't get out of this building. They're not in any immediate danger, but he is concerned because they're trapped. And that that in and of itself is a danger. And Picard says that the location is interfering with the communication, but they're going to keep working on it. And like Wesley says that these frequencies are unstable. And he's like, okay, well then find better ones. On the surface, Data says that his tricorder has actually now picking up DNA. So up until this point, they can't find any DNA with the tricorder, but now they're picking up DNA above and to the right of them. Human DNA. Human DNA, yes. human DNA. Worf calls the elevators turbo lifts, which is hilarious. <laughs> and so they go up into the hotel and they enter a hotel room. They're still reading human DNA, but no life signs. And when Riker pulls back the covers on a bed, he finds like a corpse that's all like desiccated and like de decomposed. So Data says that this, this is a human. It's been dead for 283 years, but like it's decomposed, but it's like still retained its shape. Like it's all gray. And I don't know. I was like, is that what mummified corpses look like? I'm not even sure. I don't even know at what rate bodies are supposed to decay. But they say because it's such like a, a clean environment, yeah. I guess there's no other bacteria or whatever. Yeah. There was no way for it to like rot. Right. So it's still sort of recognizable as a human. Yes. Worf is kind of like snooping around and he looks in the closet and he finds an astronaut's uniform, jumpsuit. I don't even know what you call that. Uniform, mm -hmm. probably, right? Uniform. And it's got an American flag on it. And then I like this data counts 52 stars. And Riker's like, oh, okay, that puts it between 2033 and 2079. How many states are in those states? 50. So we're going to have two more states. Two more states. One of them is probably Canada. <laughs> Once have been taken over in the America-Canada War. I mean, at this point, who knows? I don't, I don't know if we're going to be adding states to the U.S. No. <laughs> I'm not sure that's what's going to happen. That is a good point, Ruthie. Maybe it's like, like it's 52 stars, but not 52 states. Like in the near future, they're going to be like, you know what? We're just going to add stars kind of willy-nilly to our flag. He has a badge that says Colonel S. Ritchie. And Riker says, rest in peace, Colonel. Yeah. So then finally, Picard is able to contact them clearly. Riker explains what's going on. And then he says, can you do an identity scan of a Colonel Ritchie? While that's happening, Worf finds a journal and the novel Hotel Royale in the nightstand of this, this Colonel Ritchie. And Riker asks Data to summarize the novel. And Data basically like opens it to the front page and then like goes like flip, 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 flip to, the, thing, to yeah. the back. Picard tells the away team that Colonel Stephen Ritchie commanded the exploring ship, the Charybdis, which launched on July 23rd, 2037, which I thought was funny because we're like, that's almost yeah, now. Yeah, 15 we're years from July now, 23rd. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Also, but it's like almost that date as of recording this oh, podcast yeah. episode. It's like a, like a, a yeah. week away. So One like week and, a week and away. 15 years. 15 years. It's the third attempt that people had to travel beyond the solar system, which... Like, if this is a sub-warp vehicle, no. Like, yeah, you can't, like, you're probably not traveling outside the solar system with a person at, at some light velocity. Anyways, but the telemetry failed, and we never heard from them again. I mean, if you were going to do it at sub-light velocity, they should bring more than one book. <laughs> right? Like, it's... Yeah, because you're going to need something to read for the centuries <laughs> to pass between the stars. Yeah. That's, why would you only bring one terrible one novel terrible into space? One terrible book, yeah. 
Data explains a plot. It's about compulsive gamblers. It's uh, told by Mickey D, who shows up at the climax to murder a bellboy. But there's a subplot also of an older man, I'm guessing this is Tex, yeah. conspiring with Vanessa, the younger woman, to murder her husband, and she is squandering her inheritance, which is not doesn't sound like it's really her fault. No, it's, it says she's squandering her inheritance, but I think he's squandering her inheritance. Yeah, I think that's exactly what's going on. Yeah. yeah. So Riker is like, okay, well, this is basically what's happening here. And then he reads the entry. There's only one entry in the diary. Which I thought was funny. Like, there's like he's been there for, what, 30, 38, 38 years? years? And he only writes one entry yeah. in his diary. <laughs> he's like, now I'm going to write something down. But basically yeah. what happened was his shuttle was contaminated by an alien life form. So at my impression of that was it was a different sort of alien life form from the, like, humanoid aliens that we usually see. So it was it was contaminated somehow and... That life form killed everyone except for some reason, Richie. Richie woke up in the Hotel Royale or the Royale Hotel as described in this novel. And he's been there for 38 years. And as best as he can figure, the alien contaminators created this place out of some sense of guilt for killing his entire crew. And they thought the novel was like like a guide on how Richie's people lived and their social habits but it's such a poorly written book and it's filled with just so many cliches and the characters are so shallow that Richie's like I will welcome death when it comes you know what the other sad part is about this Ruthie what technically this is first contact yeah because this predates the Vulcan showing up at earth it does yeah that's kind of sad sad first contact yeah sad first contact it reminded me a little bit of Galaxy Quest. Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. You <laughs> are like right. It's like they see the TV show and they're on. like, oh, the historical documents. <laughs> yeah, the historical document. This is what this is what life might be like. In your pl- yeah. You think, though, if they had like the, the intelligence and the complexity of communication to understand that whole book, that they could have just talked to him and been like, hey, what's life like for you? Yeah. And we could do something. Or bring you home or whatever. I always had the feeling that the that this Colonel Richie, like he kind of figured this stuff out, but he never actually was able to talk to these aliens. It seems like that's the case. Yeah, yeah, like he was only ever able to talk to the characters. And maybe the characters have like some like the Holland Manners guy, the desk clerk, seems to have some knowledge of like the general story. But yeah, he can't really have any conversations that are outside of the story itself. But how would they have guessed like clothing i guess all of that stuff was probably described and, and everything else but it would be funny if everything was like just a little bit off i mean off, maybe that's yeah. why we've got someone in like our total denim head to toe <laughs> but then also every other things look like they're from the 50s or yeah and out of place that's possible yeah. <laughs> in the observation lounge laforge suggests phasering through the structure and Riker points out that the planet's atmosphere would, would rush in immediately. So if they do that, it's basically like they would be crushed by the planet's atmosphere. And it would it would destroy the protective bubble that's helping them. Yeah. And Pulaski says that the cryogenic process would be nearly instantaneous, but she might be able to revive them. So they might freeze instantly. Then maybe they could beam them up. But that seems scary. Yeah, she says in theory. Yes. So Riker's like, well, you know, if you're trying to convince us to come up with our own way of getting out of there you have done it they've also shown that the building seems impervious to hand phasers so i don't know how much why like their phasers would work so much better but oh that's a good point yeah yeah unless they're not trying to cut into the building but just like the protective envelope anyways picard says like he's like we'll we'll wait as long as it takes like we will wait months which like i mean unless you get called away on another mission 
Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, you get something else to do. Yeah. But maybe they don't. He's, you know, he's this like, is, no, we'll, this is we'll the wait mission. as long as it takes. Yeah. Yeah. So then the phone rings in the hotel room. Yeah. And they're all, like, really confused. They're like, what is this sound? And Worf is the one who answers it. And he's like, uh, they're offering something called room service <laughs> and they think this means like to clean the room and then they say no and then Worf is like uh they said that the kitchen is open 24 hours if we change our minds and I, I kind of like that scene because it or that that little line of dialogue because it honestly serves no purpose it's just funny it's just funny yeah they just want to show again how out of place they are yeah they also, like, at some point, you need to understand, I guess, how Richie survived. Oh, I guess. And if they yeah. had any food. So maybe this is showing, like, how he would have eaten. But does that whatever. mean that for the last 200 or whatever years, like, someone has just been calling up every day to, like, offer room service, but Richie hasn't been answering because he's dead? And that's the only conversation he can maybe have with anybody. I don't know. Maybe. If he never leaves the hotel room. Riker is going to explore the hotel and tells Worf and Data to go back to the lobby to try to get more information. And then in the ready room, Picard and Troy look up Hotel Royale, the novel. Picard thinks it might give them a clue to what's happening. So they start reading the novel and it opens up with, it's a dark and stormy night. And Picard sighs and he's like, that's not a good sign. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not. There is actually, I forget what it's called. I don't feel like looking it up. But there is actually one novel that starts like, it was a dark and stormy night. Oh, I'm sure there is. Yeah, I, I maybe there's more than one. Yeah. yeah, well, it's it's sort of now it's just a cliche. Like I, when I was a very young kid, I wrote a story. I don't think I ever finished it, but it started with "It was a dark and stormy night," which I thought was a really cool opening when I was a little kid. Yeah, imagine being stuck in that story yeah. forever now. Yeah. Wouldn't want to do that. So Dana goes to the blackjack table and asks Tex where he is from. They're trying to find other ways to get out. Yeah. And Tex is like, "Well, I drove my car here." And Dana's like, "Well, I want to see it." And Data says that he thinks Tex is trapped inside the world just as like he is. And Tex is like, well, no, I'm helping Vanessa. And she's in a desperate situation and has nowhere to turn. And then he says, almost nowhere. Yeah, it gets like really creepy. And he keeps like standing too close to her. Yeah. He does say one funny thing, though, because Data's like, Data's like, yeah, I think we're both trapped in here. And he's like, yeah, it feels that way when you're losing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Vanessa is of 13 and Tex tells her to hit. And Data's like... Well, actually, the odds are in favor of Sting. And Tex gets upset because he's like, you're breaking my hold over this person, essentially. Yeah. Vanessa loses again because that's how this book was written. Tex, like, gets close to her to, like, comfort her. And Data gives her gives him this, like, really creeped out look. And then Riker and Worf overhear the bellboy and clerk talking about Rita again. She said she just called and she was crying. And the bellboy is like, that Mickey D thinks he can treat anybody how he wants. And at that point, Mickey D enters. The music tells us it's him. (laughs) And he tells the bellboy that Rita sent him. Yeah, and the clerk is like, take it outside. And the bellboy is just like going off. He's like, I used to look up to people like you and I all your suits and your fancy shoes. And then we go back to the ready room and Picard and Troy are listening in. And Troy's like, oh my goodness, do people actually talk? <laughs> do humans way? actually speak and like Picard's this? like, no, this is like bad writing. Yeah. And Troy just like gets up and leaves the ready room. She's like, do I have to stay and listen to this? And he's like, no, nah, you can go. <laughs> this is, nobody should have to listen to this. So Mickey B and the bellboy head outside and Worf wants to intervene, but Riker tells him not to. Like he says, it's all in the novel. It should play out. And then as the bellboy is walking, Mickey D just shoots him in the back. Yeah. And then he walks over and he's like, I told you to stay out of this kid. He's like, no woman's worth dying for. He's like, killing for, maybe, but not dying for. And then he walks out the door. Yeah. 
And this catches Riker's attention because he's like, wait, he just walked out that door and he didn't come back in. He knows how to yeah. use a revolving door. <laughs> so he calls up to the Enterprise and he's like, what just happened? And Picard is like, no, yeah, no, it's in it's in the novel. So that's why he was able to walk out the doors because it's part of the story. So Riker is like, okay, how does the novel end? And Picard tells him it gets bought out by foreign investors for 12.5 million US dollars. Then they leave. They return home, leaving the assistant manager, I guess this Holland Manners guy, in charge. And Riker's like, okay, this is how we can get out. We don't know for sure that ending the book doesn't just make it start over again, but maybe this is how we can get out. So the way team approaches the craps table while Data explains the rules of the game and says it's quite easy to win. So Riker asks Data to elaborate, uh, and then interrupts his own explanation, and just be like, okay, can you just do yeah. it? Can you, can, you, can you win at craps? Stop asking Data for these things if you're not going to let him finish. Come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can tell, like, clearly there aren't, that many characters in this novel because anywhere they go, like Tex and Vanessa keep showing up. So Tex and Vanessa are at this table and Vanessa rolls a two, which is not good in craps. Uh, Do you play craps at all? No, I have no idea what the, what any of these games are. Yeah, I don't, I looked up some of the rules and yeah, a two is not good, I guess. And then she points out that like Tex is also almost broke. And she's like, if you lose all of your money, then I'm really in trouble. Yeah, I would have a place to sleep. Yeah. And then Tex like looks like Tex grabs her butt because she gets a little like sort of look on her face, which is not pleasant. And he's like, oh, I'd never let that happen. And then Data rolls the dice and he gets Vanessa to blow on them first, which I thought was kind of sweet. He gets a six. And I guess the rules of craps say that. So he needs to now get another six before he gets a seven, but he doesn't get that. He gets a seven. And then Tex is like, you know what? Take another take another shot. And Data realizes that the dice are weighted. They're not properly balanced. So Riker's yeah. like, okay, can you fix them? And he does. He It's kind of cool to watch. He just kind of like squeezes them to like- Rebalance them somehow. Do you think he rebalances them or do you think he like weights them in his favor? Given the way that he's rolling after, I think yeah. he has weighted them in his favor. <laughs> He gets into character. It's fun. He fully does. He's like, this is like when he's playing Sherlock Holmes or like when he's doing anything on the holodeck, he's like, baby needs a new pair of shoes. And he like snaps his fingers to like roll the dice. It's really, it's really fun. He's not even looking at the rolls. He just stares right at Riker as he throws like the <laughs> dice down the table. And this part was fun. I was like, yeah, the episode's a wee bit tedious. I like the backstory with the aliens and that's kind of interesting and and how they built the structure inside of a gas giant and all that's kind of neat. A lot of the Royale stuff's pretty tedious. That's why I usually skip this episode. But this part's fun. And I had forgotten that this part was in the episode. Yeah, I enjoyed fun. this a lot more than I expected to and a lot more than I remembered enjoying myself. So, so that was good. Anyway, yeah, like you said, they are now on a real roll there. And he's Data's just like keeps rolling his sevens. And Riker says to Picard, yeah, we're having a, a nice run of luck. And Picard is like, okay, well, stay in character. The investors are described as flamboyantly generous. So when Data is like, okay, well, we've we've won $12.3 million at this point. So I'm going to bet $700,000 because they need to get $12.5 million. And that would, $700,000 would take them up to, to thirteen. dollars But Riker's like, no, 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 bet it all. We need some spreading around money. And he starts like, 
handing his chips to everyone. He like gives some to like the clerk and he's like, yeah, you give some to the parking attendants and here's some for you and some for you and some for you. So Tex decides to bet against them because he's like, there's no way you could roll like another seven or whatever. So he doesn't think that they're going to win again. And Data rolls one more time. He gets Vanessa to blow on the dice again. And then he wins again. And then Tex asks if Data won because he's upset that he wouldn't show Data the car. He's like, what do you got against me? Yeah. And Data's like, no, I I told you that I was going to win. Like, <laughs> I told you yeah. not to bet against me. But yeah, also, they give some of the chips when they're giving it away. They give some to Vanessa, I think, Yeah. Right? So now she doesn't have to rely on Tex, yeah. which is also really nice. So, but, but that's probably also why Tex is like, betting against them and oh yeah for sure angry, yeah data's like okay i want to cash in but the clerk says you've broken the bank so Riker's like okay well you keep the 2.5 million which is the price of this hotel and just spread the rest around so the clerk realizes he's like okay you are all the foreign investors and he's like yep and then tex wants to buy them a drink and Riker tells him to enjoy the game and not to let them change the <laughs> dice on him and then walks away i do like the shot they you've got the like the music And you just see like the backs of like Riker, Data, and Worf as they're as they're going towards the the door. Yeah, and then they're able to leave now because the part of the story is that the foreign investors leave, yeah. so they're able to get out. And they wait to leave through the hotel revolving door and be back up to the ship. And Riker can't understand how the shuttle got this far away from Earth. They're back in the ready room. They're talking about what happened. They're like, "How did he ever get out this far?" Picard thinks maybe they were brought there by whoever created, like whatever the aliens were that infected the ship or contaminated the ship, and and then eventually created the hotel. Maybe those same alien beings brought the shuttle to this planet. And Riker says it doesn't make any sense. I don't know. It makes some sense, I guess. I don't know. But <laughs> Picard has to loop us back. He says, Yeah, loosely. <laughs> like Fermat's last theorem, it's a puzzle we may never solve. Never solve. But we but we solved it. We solved that puzzle and this one. Yeah, I think they're, they're yeah. I don't know. Yeah, like I was saying, this... It's a bit of a silly episode. It's not like, yeah, it's definitely not one I returned to a lot. I hadn't seen it in a long time, but I, I liked it more than I thought I would. Yeah, me too. Yeah, because I wasn't I wasn't looking forward to Royale. It's always been in, in my head as one of my least favorite episodes, Yeah, but it, it was okay. It was okay. You were talking about, maybe listeners might not know this, but for the last little while, you were co-hosting the Discovering Trek podcast. Yeah, talking about Strange New World, and you joined us for an episode. So. And I did. I came on one of the episodes. So with with the first linkers listening right now, you should also go and check out the Strange New World's Discovering Trek podcast, because it was cool too. It was. But I was thinking yeah. about that, because I know in one of the episodes I was listening to it, and you talked about how in a season that's so much shorter, like a season that's just 10 episodes, they don't have as many like missteps as maybe they have in like first season of TNG or the first season of Deep Space Nine. But I was also thinking, like, I think that's true. But but what is kind of fun with these long seasons is that you can have episodes that don't really do much, but are just kind of amusing and and a bit silly. And sometimes that doesn't work at all. Uh, But other times I think it is kind of fun, like with this episode. Sometimes it's okay to have a one-off. Yeah different kind of thing as long as it's pulled off well yeah and i i don't know i wouldn't say that this one's pulled off well but it's it's not terrible it's okay it's okay it's not terrible yeah yeah there are definitely worse episodes (laughs) yeah i don't know that that's 
that's the bar we want to hold things to, but that's where we are for this week. That's all we are for this week. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of With the First Link. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice. Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at nathannunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at FirstLinkPod, or send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com to let us know which fictional universes you would or would not like to get stuck in. I'm Ruthie. And I'm Matthew, and wisely choose your reading material before heading into outer space.